How many of you this morning are thankful for the cross? I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for what he's done at Calvary and that I don't have to live a life bound, but I can live a life free. Amen. Amen. All right, today before we get started, I want to pray because we've got a crazy day for you planned. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you. God, we ask, Lord, today that you would direct and guide our lips. God, that our spirits, Father, our human bodies would be infused with your spirit, God, to deliver the word of God the way you want it done. Father, remove all of us, God, that you can be seen and your name would be glorified today. Let our words penetrate the hearts of the people and begin to grow inside their heart and bring forth fruit, God, not just for today, but God, a season to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, we want to just keep mom and dad up in prayer today as they're doing the Lord's work in another man's field. We're grateful that they're in Denver. We want to tell them that we love them and we're grateful that they're going to arrive home safely on Monday and they'll be back in the house on Wednesday and Sunday uh, to start our beautiful prayer series. How many are excited about that? All right. So I'm going to tell you this. I got 15 minutes to preach. So get ready, hang on to your shorts because you're going to need to. We're going to go from A to Z pretty quick, but I'm going to lay some foundation work that's going to be built on because I got two teammates that are going to come up and tag team today, Pastor Kylan and Tim, and by the end, we're going to land you someplace really good, all right? So today, we're going to be talking about being a game changer, a game changer. Now, in order to be a game changer... You've got to get in the game. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, today, you got to get in the game. All right. So a game changer, the definition is a specific person or a play that dramatically changes the momentum of life or a game. Dramatically changes the situation. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want anyone to go home saying that Sister Nicole preached that life is a game. Because I'm going to tell you, life isn't a game, and your eternity isn't a game. We're striving for an eternity with Christ for eternity. And if we don't choose correctly, then we end up with an eternity without Christ, and that's not where we want to be. However, for today, life is called a game. All right? We got that? So no one's going home telling everybody I said life was a game. All right. So let me set the stage for you today. God is the owner of the team. Pastor is our coach. God is the owner and pastor is our coach. See, when you became a Christian, you immediately became a part of the team. There's no tryouts necessary. And for some of you, that's a good thing. Just going to be real. I tried out for cheerleading and they sent me home. They said, your mouth is quite big enough, but you're not coordinated. Go home. So I got to be, you know, the front line with the cheerleaders screaming at me. I screamed back. Anyways, that's just the beginning when you become a Christian. Because see, when you get on the team, there's things that are required to be a part of the team. You have to show up to practice. You have to come in on Saturdays and watch film or video about your opponent that you're going to be playing next week. Because, see, they've got an offense, and you've got to create a defense in order to survive, right? And then, of course, <laughs> there's the plays. Oh, my gosh, the plays. They're so thick when Lincoln comes home from basketball. I'm like, you got to know all those? Like, you got to know if a coach pulls out 28 and you got to know where you're supposed to be? He said, yeah, mom, and that's only if you're a big man. If you're a three and a four or a four and a five, you got to know two positions. So you don't have to know 28 plays. you got to know 28 times two. That's a lot of plays. This is likened to our life. Look, when you get in the Christian team, you've got to show up to church. This is where you get to practice what you've learned. This is where you get to practice the plays of the Bible. Do you know how many plays are in here? Not 28. A lot of plays. But you've got to know the Word of God. We've got to watch 
our opponent and know who he is and what we've come to do so that when he throws out his offense, we're on our best defense. This is what our pastor is doing week after week after week. He's teaching you the plays. He's telling you what it takes to be a game changer in the game called life. See, we get to come together because today we get to encourage one another. Look at your teammate and say, I've got your back. See, because I'm going to tell you when the getting gets tough, and someone's on you, you need someone to set a pick and roll so that you can get out of the role that you're in right there. Yeah. It's time for a turnover in the game, but someone's got to do something different. We can depend on one another to do that. Listen, LeBron James did not become a game changer because he was born that way. Let me tell you something, he showed up at practice every single day. He put in more hours than anyone else on that team. He had passion, he had drive, he had focus. We too, in order to be a game changer, you gotta have diligence. You gotta have some resistance to stand in the midst of your fight and go, you know what, that basket's mine and you're between me and my basket. Get out of my way. But it takes strength to be a game changer. It takes a decision. Someone's got to say, I want to get in the game today. See, nothing in life is free. And if anyone told you, that's not true. Because I'm telling you, I've got paint, and they didn't give me a paint stirrer. Last time I had to use one that was free from the last time. The only thing that's free in this life is Jesus Christ. The only thing that's free. And he was the greatest game changer. When Christ went to the cross, he changed the game of humanity. No longer did you have to be bound. No longer did you have to be bound in sin. You were broke free because he became a game changer. What has to drive you in this game is your love for Christ. Listen, your love for Jesus. God says in Revelations that if you're lukewarm, he will spew you out of his mouth. That means literally to vomit you out. God's asking you either be hot or you be cold. Some of us have got to make a choice today to get off the team bench and get into the game with Christ. Amen? We've got to be ready to do his will like Christ did his will when he came to this earth. But we got our own agenda, our own agenda. Listen, Matthew 22, 37, this will be my only text today. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You think this was the first commandment by accident? I don't think so. I don't think so. See, because with all your heart, all your heart, this is the first goal of the game. The first goal of the game is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Not a portion of your heart. Not just what I want to give you of my heart. But all of my heart. The will of man lives inside of his heart. So, do you want to play the game of life your way or do you want to play it God's way you think you got a better list of plays than he has against our adversary I don't I don't because with all my heart means that I give him all of my will and I trust in his instead of mine all of your soul this is where your emotions live when was the last time that you had a yearning to be with Christ. When was the last time you had a yearning to look at the playbook and say, God, I miss you. I miss you. What about all of your mind? This is where your thoughts are. When was the last time that our mind was stayed on who God was? Stayed on who he is throughout our day and what we're supposed to do in this game called life and what he wants to see accomplished. That's with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. 
See, I think that there's some here today on his team that think being a Christian and being on this team is enough. How many of you think being on this team is enough? How many? Ooh, we got a smart church. Look at that. This, this, this young... Oh, my. Well, maybe there was none that was thinking... Mm-hmm. So, Miss Nicole, see, I'm a Christian. I've come into the church for real, like it's not enough that I show up on, at practice? Like, Jacobs, you're late. Sit your hiney down. Sit. There's a game going on. Pay attention. Pay attention, boys. Listen, this is the game right here. And this is a bunch that want to show up to practice. Jacobs, sit yourself. Try to make some money. Oh, my gosh. We're playing a game. There's a game going on. Do you not see? I got to work. See, a lot of us want to show up to practice, but we don't want to practice. A lot of us want to show up to worship, but we don't want to worship. Some of us want to show up to do our own agenda. What in the world? Boys, there's a game. I'm just telling you. Look. We've got to come to church to identify what our opponent looks like and what's going on. Just sit. You, right here. Sit. Sit. Stop fighting. Good night. This is what it looks like when everyone's got their own agenda on the bench of the game called life. We've got someone who wants knowledge and wisdom more than anything else in the world. This one we've got here who thinks he's a star and cares what everybody thinks about his appearance and how he looks. This one's so involved in his social media tweets and retweets and likes and dislikes that he can't think of anyone else except himself. This one right here is wallowing in self-pity and needs everyone else to identify who he is because he's a codependent and so dysfunctional in his own mind that he can't see anything else. And this one here, he's about his job. That's all he can think about is providing, providing, providing. And unfortunately, everything he does goes wrong because he won't entrust the Lord to help him. And this one, I think you can see his problem. It's all about the money. Listen, listen, there comes a time that the Lord wants to call on you and put you in the game. And what was meant to be a loss is now meant to be a win for all of mankind. But it's time that someone chooses to get in the game. Sitting on the bench is not enough any longer. Sitting in the Christendom is not enough any longer. God's calling us to be something different. He's putting, he's looking at what's happening. He's looking at the game. He's seeing the world pull away to nothing. He's seeing marriage be abolished. He's seeing people lost and broken every single day. But he's calling you and I to a change. And the pastor of your church looks out and sees what's happening. He says, something's wrong. There's something wrong. We're not rescuing. We're not reaching out. We're not being driven beyond our own selfish lusts. And he looks out and he says, this is what I got. All right. Who can I send? Pick me. Oh, you're ready now? You ready? You ready? 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 All right. Put it down. Put it down. Now go preach the gospel to the world and tell them what they're worth. You. You ready? You want in this game? You want to drop who you are and go preach the gospel and tell them their identity and what it's going to be. You, 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 you. You know what? You got money? Go build the kingdom. Go use that money to build the kingdom. Go, John. Go. Go. You're really in the game. You won in the game. You know the place. You've learned the opponent. Then go build an orphanage with your skill. Go. Come on, come on, come on. You, 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 you. YouTube page preaching the gospel and spreading it. Go. Go. And you, you are going to deliver the broken. 
You are going to set the captives free. You're going to take this mental dysfunction. You're going to take this emotional brokenness, and you're going to use it and turn it around and set them free. I'm go, ready. go. God wants to put you in the game. God will use whatever weakness you have, whatever your dysfunction is, whatever you feel broken in, God will use it and turn it around for his good. Amen. All you got to say is, put me in the game, coach. Amen. You shouldn't be afraid to say, put me in the game, coach. Amen. Show up to practice, learn your opponent, and know the plays. God's willing and wanting to use you all. All right, we're going we're gonna to keep on with that. Uh, Luke chapter 24, if you've got your word, head there. Now, I've been pastoring for over 20 years, but I've also been coaching for about 20 years. So this, this illustration, it, it really jives with me. When you put together your starting lineup and you've got your bench, all the kids, for the most part, want to get in the game. They want to get out there and do what they can do, contribute to the team. But sometimes when they actually get in the game, they just start going through the motions of the game. See, it's one thing to be in the game. We all need to be in the game, respond to the call. But what about what happens when we're actually in the game? That's what I want to talk to you about. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to pick up in, in verse 24. But leading into the story here, Jesus is crucified. The disciples are scattered. There's a loss of hope. There, there's this idea that maybe he wasn't who we thought he was. Uh, there's confusion, all of these different things. And, of course, we know the story. Jesus is resurrected, and he starts to appear to different people. And in verse 24, we're going to kind of pick up part of that story. And a certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so that the women had said, but him they saw not. Jesus was risen. And he's talking to these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And he's telling the story of, they're telling him the story of, of what had happened. He said, they said to Jesus, don't you really know what happened? Who, who are you that you don't know the events that happened in Jerusalem? This prophet was crucified. The, the religious leaders handed him over to the Romans. They crucified him. How can you not know this? So they're telling Jesus this. And they don't actually know who he is. Verse 33. I'm sorry, verse 32. And they said to another, after Jesus is talking with them and opening up the scriptures to them, they said to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us? See, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he is about, should cause our heart to burn within us. I'm talking of fire burning inside of you. This is the flame that cannot be quenched. This is the flame that will not go away. This is the flame that others can light their candle at it. A fire within you. See, you can get in the game and start playing the game, but if you don't have a fire within you, you're going to get back on the bench. You know, as a pastor, even as a coach, you, you see people, certain people in church maybe sometimes, and because you have the desire for the best of them, or you have a player on your team, and you desire the best for them, you see them not striving and going after things, you just want to grab them sometimes and shake them up. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You just want to, you want to shake them and say, what is going on? What is wrong with you? Why are you not after this? Where is your heart at? You see, it was like the things that could keep you out of the game are the same things that can lead you to get back on the bench. What things are, are, are competing in you for your allegiance and your attention? What things distract you? What things do you need to get over and get past? What things do you need to work through? See, just because you got in the game doesn't mean you're in a bubble and everything's nice and easy and no problem. I'm just going to keep playing the game and be a winner. But once you're in the game, you've got to keep after what got you in the game. You've got to keep doing the things that keep you in the game. There's fire within you. 
So the question is, is Jesus today, this is the underlying thing for all the things that, that, that we need to do while we're in the game. The underlying thing is this. Is Jesus to you today still the treasure in the field that today you would still sell everything you have in order to have it? Is Jesus today still the good news of great joy that is for all the people? Is he that to you today, even though you've been going through the motions of the game for 15 years? Where is the fire that burns within you because of the revelation of Jesus Christ? That's what it's all about. That's what keeps you in the game after you get in the game, is the simple idea that I want to know him. Philippians chapter 3. Let's, let's go there. I want to know him. Paul writing here. Verse 7, Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, or I count them as rubbish, that I may win Christ. You can spend your life building a big empire of dirt that really doesn't mean anything in this grand scheme of things. Anything that you chase in your life that can rot away and fade away, if it can rust, if it can be stolen, it is a big empire of dirt that we chase. Paul said those things ultimately are but rubbish compared to knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. We chase these things. We put time in these things. The stuff that kept us on the bench can creep back into us during the game. I want to know him. It's more than anything you can achieve in this life. I want to know him. It's greater than anything you can gain. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You can build big barns that are filled with lots of stuff, but it doesn't mean anything. I want to know him. Let's keep reading there. Verse number nine. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that is which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness of, is of God by faith. Now watch this, that I may know him. And this is not knowing him in head knowledge. That's not, not what Paul's talking about here. It's not just knowing about him, but knowing him in full life experience. That's the Christian life. You ever been to the zoo? You ever go look at the lions at the zoo? Half the time you don't even see them because they're hanging out in the shade. It's too hot out. Well, the lions are in here. That's nice. I don't see any. You can move on to the next exhibit. But if you get to see the lions, you see, you see the magnificent animal that they are. You, you, can, you can read about them and learn about them. But you really don't know about a lion until you get in the cage with them. See, this is what we've got to do with God. We can't just know him at a passing distance. Well, well hey, God, I, I see you. Well, God's in the zoo. He didn't come out. It's hot. But he's in there somewhere. But to know him is to get down into the cage with him. And not just know him, but experience him. That is the kind of thing that causes the revelation of the fire to burn within you and keeps you in the game. That's what keeps you after it day after day. And not because you have to. Well, see, as a coach, the players, to me, that do the best are the ones that do the things not because they have to, but because they want to. They want to come to practice. They want to watch the film. They want to show up at 7 in the morning and meet the coach at the weight room before school. They want to do these things. I want to. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Not because I have to or I'm scared of an eternity without him. But I want to know him. And that sort of sets all that stuff up anyways. I want to know. Watch what Paul says. I want to know Christ. And there's three things he says then. In the power of his resurrection, we can live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know that. That helps us stay in the game. 
But, but see, this is where those of us that want to do this, it really rings true. And watch this. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. It's not always what we want it to be. It's not easy dying to yourself in order to have life. For whoever would come after me, Jesus, would deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for me will find it. That's what Paul's talking about right there. Will that fire burn in such a way inside of you because of the revelation of Jesus Christ that you will follow him at all costs? That even to the point of dying to yourself so you can discover what true life is? And then Paul goes on to write one more thing. To attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's our reward. That's what is coming. There's a reward for the life that we live in playing this game. In other words, being a disciple of Jesus. But how much do you really want to know him? Or do you just want to know his gifts? Or do you really want to just know that you got a varsity jersey and you get to wear it around school because you made the team? How much do you really want to know him? That is the underlying thing of what it means to be a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the gifts are, are certainly entwined with who he is. You get to know both. But if all you look for is the gifts, you sometimes can miss the gift giver. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, to become like him in death, so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. That's what this is about. So what things are distracting you? What things are fighting for your allegiance? What things you got to get through, give up, get over, whatever? See, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I always thought it was a bush when I was a kid. I didn't understand bush. So yeah, okay. So I don't know about you. I don't want just a little light that shines. I want a fire that burns in my heart. Because I want to know Jesus and chasing after him learning and growing the revelation of who he is and he becomes in me that fire like Moses saw in the bush though the bush was on fire the bush didn't burn and God spoke from it I want God to move in me as a fire the all-consumable fire of Hebrews chapter 12 I want him to move in me in such a way that now it forms who I am it forms how I play the game it's a fire that, that can't be hidden you try to stamp this thing out. It's, it's not going anywhere. This fire that drives my life, who I am and what I am about, that's what I want. So how much do you want to know him? You cannot play at discipleship. You can't go through the motions in discipleship. It is the everyday, purposeful, conscious decision to follow Jesus. And in that, he continually reveals himself to you. That's where the fire comes from. I don't want to play at this. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to get sent back to the bench. But I want to live my life in such a way that is, is obviously noticeable that there is something happening right in here. So you get in the game and you stay in the game. So in other words, I'm saying we've got to learn to love God with everything that we have. All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that we have. But there's another step to it. One more thing. And Pastor Tim's going to come to finish this up. There's one more step to this. 
Let's give Pastor Tim a hand as he comes up this morning. So I, I love this. This is a message that's so like resonant in my heart because it's me and it challenges me. Got to get in the game. The first thing we got to know is Jesus calls us into the game. Jesus calls us into the game as part of a journey of following him. Matthew 4.19, Jesus calls Peter, the first disciple that he's going to call to follow him. And he says, Peter, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? But there was always the following that had to happen. See, you'll never be what Jesus intends you to be without first following him, without that intimate desire to know him above all else. When you have that first, when your priority is I'm following Christ, then you become what he intends you to be. Now, I got to talk to you about that part. So we've laid the groundwork pretty clear. you got to follow Christ. It's a journey. It's an adventure for each one of us. The disciples all followed Jesus, but Jesus led them different places. You know what I'm saying? Like he sent them to do different jobs. Some of them got to go with Jesus to special places and do special things, like the Mount of Transfiguration. Not everyone was there. So you got to follow where Jesus is leading you, but there's one thing we all have in common in where Jesus is leading us as we follow him, and that's to serve others. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, we got to catch this. We got to catch this. Jesus leads every follower to serve others. You cannot read the Gospels. You cannot read the New Testament. You cannot read any of Scripture without seeing that God's heart is for us to go and serve others. And God intends for us to do this so much that the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that he gives each one of us gifts that's so cool that you have a gift. You have a talent that God has given you that's not limited by age. It's not limited by how young you are or by how old you are. You have a gift. You have a talent that God gave just to you. In Romans 12, it says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, encourage. If it's to give, give generously. Do what God has given you to do, but you'll only do it properly, and you'll only do it with a passion if you're following you have to follow Jesus in it. Why? Because Jesus is our example. Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him. That's a powerful statement. I don't know any of us, including myself, that would be like, you know what's going to be a joyful experience? dying, that just brings joy to my heart. Here's the key. The cross wasn't the joy. It was the salvation he could produce for every single human being. That was the joy that gave him the strength to walk through it. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, which should be pretty easy to do if we're following him, and let us be like him who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. In other words, it's telling me it doesn't matter what I have to go through to serve my brother or my sister. I can do it because there's a joy set before me. I know that God's going to produce something on the other side of this, but I have to be willing to lay my life down. Can I just, I want to just show you this. I don't know if I could actually lift this, so I'm not going to. I was thinking about it. I was measuring it out while Pastor Kyle was preaching. And I was like, I don't think it's going to work. But my life would look considerably different if I was carrying this around with me everywhere. Catch this. It'd be really hard for me to go anywhere and somebody not look at me and think, that guy's a little peculiar. You know what else would be really hard? It'd be really hard for me to be self-centered if I'm carrying around my cross. Because, see, here's, here's my struggle. Is I know what Jesus has done for me, and I know that he asks me to lay my life down in the same manner for you. But that means I have to 
deny myself. That means I have to throw myself up on a cross. That means I can't carry around any selfish desire in me. If I'm going to carry my cross, then I've got to lay my life down. Why? Because that's what Jesus showed me carrying your cross is. It's not caring about me anymore. It's caring about others. And so God gave us gifts. He gives us talents. He gives us strengths. And he says to go bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, I want to follow Jesus so well that when Jesus tells me to go, I'm able to go and I'm able to be on the cross as I go to serve others. I want you to learn something else from Jesus, though. Jesus liked to pray. He prayed a lot. The Bible said that he had patterns of prayer. He would sneak off. He'd go do ministry all day, and then he'd go out into the wilderness by himself with his disciples. He'd go up into the mountains and pray and get with God. Prayer is a powerful thing, and the Bible encourages over and over again to pray. But I'm thankful Jesus didn't stop at a prayer. See, in John, it says that Jesus, right before he's about to be uh, captured and the crucifixion story is about to take place. The Bible records in John's gospel that Jesus prayed for himself. You know what he prayed? It wasn't a selfish prayer. It was a God help me do what I have to do prayer. Now we know in the garden of Gethsemane, check this out, we know and it's okay to do this sometimes we know that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane right before he's about to be arrested he prays, God if there is any other way, Father I'd like that option. If there's an option B, I'm good with that one. But not my will, but yours be done. See, sometimes we might, look in, we might be looking at a very difficult thing in front of us that God's leading us to, and our prayer might be, God, this looks a little bit more than what I can handle. This is going to be terrible. This is, there's going to be a lot of suffering here. I can tell. And I, I would rather not do this. If there's any other way, God, that we can accomplish this goal, can we do that option? But Jesus always finished with, not my will, but your will be done. I have to learn to pray that prayer instead of just saying, let's pick a different way. I have to pray, lead me in your way and just give me what I need to do it. But Jesus didn't just pray for himself. John's gospel records that Jesus then prayed for his disciples that were with him. And then one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture, Jesus, is he prays for all of us. He says, I'm going to pray for all of them who will believe in me because of your testimony. He prayed for us, which I think is awesome. And so prayer is powerful, and we don't want to move past prayer. In fact, I want to show you the importance of praying beyond yourself. Because oftentimes in my life, I've struggled with just praying about me. Because I've got enough going on in my life that I can pray a whole lot of prayers just for me. God, I need money because my kids eat a lot of food. My son's out eating me and he's four. I need more money, Jesus. God, there's some issues going on in my life. There's some enemies that I have. I need you to kind of take care of some of these issues, Jesus. By the way, keep me safe. Keep me safe. The truck's running a little rough, so just put a little miracle mechanical touch on that. That'd be great, Jesus. Right? It's very easy to be selfish, but I want to show you something. When all I do is pray about myself, I'm not accomplishing a lot. But check this out. The power prayer. Come here, David. Dr. O, you come up here. Come up here, Bob. Come up here, Bill. Come here. I want to show you something really cool about how prayer should work. This is part of bearing one another's burdens. Face them. Now check this out. If all I'm concerned with is selfish prayers, and there's nothing wrong with praying for your family. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I stop there and it's self-centered prayers, but check out what happens if I come to Bill and I'm like, Bill, Bob, Dr. O, Brother David, I got some issues. My son's not feeling well. He's sick. The doctors don't know what's going on. Will you guys pray with me? Now check this out. If they actually do it and they're committed, now we got five people praying for the same thing. That is powerful. Now, here's what sometimes we're going to hear. Is that's right, people? You're supposed to pray for me. What I'm trying to tell you is that's right. You need to pray for them. Because it's not about me. I'm carrying my cross. I'm not concerned about myself. Bill, what do you need me to pray for? Because here's what we like to do. 
correction. Here's what I like to do. If Bill comes to me and says, I need you to pray about something, Bill, I'm going to pray for that. All right, God, you, you heard what he said. Do something. Amen. And then I never think about it again until the next time I see Bill. And then I'm like, oh, hey, Bill, I prayed about that, man. What did God do? Did I really pray about it? Or did I just make myself feel good? Because when Jesus says, bear one another's burdens, and when the Bible instructs us to pray for one another, even so, the disciples, when they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Have you ever realized that Jesus taught them to pray corporately? He didn't say, pray my Father who isn't. He said, pray our Father. Our Father. Why? Because we're in this together and we need each other. So we pray for one another. And when we pray for one another, the, the strength of our prayers is compounded. Do you see how much better we are together? Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Prayer's good. But who's thankful Jesus didn't stop at a prayer? Why? Because love requires action. Love requires action. The Bible says that they will know that the kingdom has come to us by the way we love one another. Again, sometimes we hear that and we think, that's right, people love me more. Love me more. That's how I feel sometimes. I'm like, somebody preaches a message on love. I'm like, that's right, people, here I am. Where are you at? I need love. I need prayer. Where are you? No, we lead. I lead. I don't wait for you. Why? Because love isn't passive. Love's not passive. I'm not sitting back waiting for Jim to come love me. Why? Because I'm following Jesus. And Jesus, by the way, did not wait for you to love him. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And if that love is in my heart, then I don't need you to love me. I can come love you. Regardless of if you love me. Because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Jesus said something about loving your enemies. So even in the absence of your love for me, I can still love you. Why? Because I'm carrying my cross. We don't stop at prayer. It's easy to pray. Even though we st st I still seem to struggle with it sometimes. It's easy to pray for other people. But Jesus showed his love for us. He demonstrated it by his actions. He went to the cross. He went to the cross. I want to show you what it actually should look like to bear one another's burdens. I need, I need like a, I need a guy that just thinks he's pretty studly. I need a studly young fella, studly. Where's Dakota at? Dakota, where is, did he leave? What? All right, Canyon. I wasn't going to do this to you, bro, but Dakota's already married, so I wasn't worried about embarrassing him. It's fine. You might want to take your jacket off. If you're going to need to take it off. Yeah, it's going to be good, man. Then you just come stand right here. If you want to, you might just bust out of this shirt, actually. I, we got to do it right here. We got to do it right here. So I want to show you guys something because I want to show you that prayer is good. It's great to pray for people. But Jesus didn't just pray for us. He did something, right? And the Bible says to bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We love one another. So here's... Here's what I need you to do. We're going to encourage you. We're going to bear your burden with you. Okay, but I need you to do a plank for me, and you can't stop for any reason. You just got to do it. You can do it on your, on your elbows or on your hands, whatever you want to do, and we're going to support you. We're going to bear this burden with you. He didn't know he was going to work out at church this morning, but it's good. All right, just go for it. Remember, just don't stop. Don't stop. He's a strong young man. This should be pretty easy for him. That's okay. How you doing, man? You doing all right? Doing good. Okay, cool. It's good. We're here for him, right? Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah, we love what's happening right now. He is bearing a burden right now. This is great. You just keep going. You still good? 
You good? Okay, cool. It's not. Is it any kind of struggle at this point? Not really? Okay, cool. Well, that's going to make this real easy. I'm just going to sit down here. This is good. How you doing? He's still good. Okay. His shoes are slipping, though. That's kind of weird. Should have wore better shoes. How you doing? Getting, feeling it a little bit? I don't see any sweat yet. He's not really working that hard. I'm here for you, though, man. I believe in you. Don't stop. You just keep going. Yeah, we got his back, right? You guys got his back? That's good. That's good. Let's all just watch him work. Is it getting harder? Just a tad bit. That's good. He needs encouragement, people. He needs somebody to bear this burden with him. Come on. Now, see, this was what I was worried about. I don't think you heard me. Because praying for people is great. There we go. There we go. Bear burdens. Yeah, bear, bear, bear the, you guys are close. Prayer's great. Action's better. Boy's struggling over here. That's what, all right, pause. You can stop, Canyon. Josh, stay right there. Listen, praying for people is great. But look at what, look, I believe it's in James. I think I read it this morning. If it's not in James, I apologize. But it's in the Bible, that much I can tell you. The Bible says if you know your brother has a need, if you know that they don't have clothes, and all you do is come up and pray for them and say, God bless you, but you do nothing to meet their physical need, then your faith is dead. It's dead. If you know that your brother or sister is hungry, and you see that need, and all you do is go up and say, I hope the Lord provides, and you bless them and walk away. The Bible says your faith is dead. Why? Because our faith in Jesus requires us to do something beyond just praying. Prayer is powerful, and it's important, and it's a necessity, but when you're struggling, it'd be real nice to have somebody come and lift you up. And this is where I struggle as a follower of Christ. You know why? Because I'm worried that if I meet your need, that I might go without. That's what stops me from giving. I just, thank you. You did a fantastic job. Just went to the hospital two weeks ago to go visit somebody, and as I'm driving there, it's in Lima, I just so happen to notice, I'm assuming they're all homeless, but they're the people sitting with the signs asking for help, and I drove past like five of them, but there was one, there's one that the Holy Spirit just kind of prompted me, you need to go talk to this person, I'm just being real with you guys right now, because I want you to know I'm in this with you, I'm still growing. I'm still learning how to carry my cross. I'm still trying to figure out what this looks like. I'm still working through the trust issues of Jesus. If I really gave it, are you really going to take care of my family? So I'm driving, and I see this, this guy holding up a sign. He needs help. And I felt the Holy Spirit as I drove past just say, you need to, you need to do something for that person. I'm like, okay. So I drive to the hospital. Because, right, with delayed obedience is still obedience, right? Is that how it works? No, it's not how it works. I go to the hospital. I'm like, all right, God, if that person's still there when I get back, I'll do something, right? Because I'm super obedient to Jesus all the time. And uh, so I go to the hospital, and I go do what I'm doing there. And on my way back, sure enough, he is still there. So I pull into the parking lot, pull up, roll my window down. I'm thinking, I'm just going to take this person and get them something to eat. How nice of me. But then the guy wasn't a guy, but it was a guy. And I was extremely uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't know what to do right now. This is a real life thing for me because that was a situation I was pretty uncomfortable. 
I was looking at something that I'm super confused about. And that's the person that the Holy Spirit prompted me to go to. And I was like, God, you're kind of a punk. And so I pull up. And I don't know why I did this because this shouldn't have mattered. But I was like, tell me your story. Like, I want to find out if you actually deserve my help. Because that matters when Jesus leads you, right? Whether or not they deserve it or going to use it the right way or anything like that. That matters. And so I hear their story. (laughs) And as they're telling me the story, I'm just more and more like I'm sad for the person. But I'm just more and more uncomfortable because I don't know I was so confused, I kept changing the pronouns that I was referring to this person by. I was, and I felt terrible about it, but I didn't know. I was like, yeah, man, okay, woman. Like, it was very confusing. And I'm distraught, and part of me and myself, I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to help this person right now. And in my truck... Hearing this story, which is just absolutely heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, about how they were taken advantage of as a small child by a pastor who was married to this person's mother and told the mother, I'm going to take them with me to the church to help clean the church and just took them and molested them. Fast forward into this person's adulthood. They get married. Apparently the situation is a really messed up one. And this spouse runs over their only child with a lawnmower and kills the child. But the reality of this is really me because even as I'm hearing this story, part of me is still going, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here right now. And that's when the Holy Spirit broke me because this, this person who I come to find out later their name was Cheryl. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I love Cheryl. I was like, well, good for you, right? Holy Spirit said, I love Cheryl the same way I love you. I was like, okay. So then I ended up having to call my wife because the Holy Spirit, you know, when conviction comes and that delayed obedience, I think sometimes God ups the ante. You know, it's like with your kids when you're disciplining them. You're like, if you'd have done this right the first time, I wouldn't be adding on punishment. But since you didn't do it, now I'm going to, I don't know if it was punishment or discipline. But the Lord asked me to give a certain sum of money that went above and beyond what my wife and I, we have an agreement about if I feel led, I can just give this certain amount. Anything above that amount, I had to call her. So I was like, all right, God, if this is really of you, she'll say yes too, you know. So I tell Cheryl, I'm like, I'm going to go to the bank and I'll. I'll come back. And Cheryl was like, okay. And so I left, and on the way to the bank, I'm calling my wife. I'm like, honey, really weird situation, but I know that the Lord's speaking to me, and we're going to give some money. And she was like, oh, okay, how much? This amount. And she was like, you're sure that God said that? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. And she's, she's great. She's great. She trust that if I tell her the Lord's leading, then she jumps on board with it, and it's good. But it hurt a little bit, because I thought, God, we've got plans for that money, for my family, for our future. God's like, yeah, and he said, you remember, you remember when I said that the pagans are concerned with what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, where they're going to sleep, but I tell you not to worry about those things. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Do you trust me? Okay. Let me pick up my cross. Let me love somebody tangibly. And so I go back to Cheryl, who was shocked to see me and told me that I was like the 20th person that day who had stopped and said they would come back. But I was the only one that did, which is not a celebration of me, by the way. Because I didn't want to. And it opened the door for me to share with Cheryl about how much God loves her because I didn't want to come back. But God's love compelled me to. And the same love that he loves me with, he loves her with. And so I got to share the gospel with Cheryl. Here's the point. Prayer is great. And the Bible says that above all else, before anything else, we should pray. 
We should pray. Why? Because that's part of us being led by Jesus. We got to pray and we got to know where Jesus is leading us. But action, action with prayer, the Bible says, makes our faith complete. It makes our faith complete. Obedience mixed with faith makes our faith complete. We sang that song, Why Not Now? I want to see the lame start walking. I want to see the mute start talking. I want to see light rise, right? I want to see, I want to see God move in power. And my, my heart is because this is my church and I love my church. And I believe that my church has a heart for that. We got to start letting our actions match it. It's not enough to just pray, God, do something. It's not enough to just come and sing, God, do something. We have to allow God to actually put us into action. And it starts. It starts with me. I can't look at you and expect you to do it. That's unfair. In fact, the Bible actually tells me not to look and compare myself to anyone else. It says to think of myself with sober judgment so that I can test my own actions. It's wrong for me to look at any one of you and think, you need to love me better. It's wrong for me to look at any one of you and say, you should pray for me more. It's wrong for me to look at any one of you and say, you saw my burden and you didn't help me. No, what I'm called to do as a Christ follower is look at myself and say, what are my actions producing? Do I look like I'm carrying my cross? Because if I'm carrying that, then I'm laying my life down. You can't carry your cross and be selfish. You can't do it. You can't carry your cross and be concerned with your own will for your life. You can't do it. Because if you're carrying your cross, you're following God's will. Do you see what I'm saying, church? My prayer for you is that you will allow God to grab a hold of your heart as you follow Jesus, as you've been called into the game, that you won't be satisfied with just being on the team, but you'll be called into action. You'll pursue Jesus because remember, come follow me and I will make you. Here's what I'm discovering in my journey, and we're going to sing this song, and as we end tonight, tonight, it's a morning. As we end this morning, we're going to invite you to just worship Jesus and to allow Jesus to stir something in your heart. And we're not, I mean, we will pray for people if they want prayer, but I'd really rather see you just give it to Jesus and let Jesus work in your heart. Let Jesus stir something up inside of you. As we follow Christ, he makes us into something. It is the natural overflow of a follower of Christ to be selfless and to prefer their brother over themselves. You can't make yourself do this. You cannot force yourself into that type of lifestyle. The only way you can become that way, that type of person who lays down their own life for the life of someone else, the only way we get there is by looking to Jesus fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. God, I pray that you would draw us to you. I pray that you would call us, Father, out from the crowd, off of the bench, into a journey and an adventure of following Jesus. And I pray, God, that as we follow your Son, that you would do what only you can do in our lives and form Christ in us so that we can be your church, that we could be your ambassadors in this earth, that we could be the ministers of reconciliation in a world, that we could go and love our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we could go and love the Cheryls. God, we need you to lead us because we cannot get there on our own. 
We can't will ourselves into that type of lifestyle. We can't work our way there. We need you to call us and lead us there. Burn in us, Jesus. Burn in us. Burn in us. That we might represent you on this earth in a way that's true. And then it might be said of us and of this church that surely Christ is among them. Look at the way that they love. Surely Christ is among them. Look at the way they serve one another. Surely Christ is among them. Look at the way that they lay down their own lives to meet the needs of others. Surely Christ is among them because we see Jesus in their midst. Father, we surrender our lives to you, God. We believe that you're a miracle-working God. We believe that you use even us. Even though we feel broken, God, even though we feel like we don't have much to offer, we know that because of Jesus Christ, all grace abounds unto us so that we can abound unto every good work. And so, Father, we declare together as a church, why not here? Why not now? Why not me? Father, use us to carry your light into this world, God. We pray that our region is shaken for you because we are loving so passionately. God, use us. Stir us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.